representing the interim UFC middleweight champion, Israel Adesanya. Oh shit. I know when it's all said and done, when I'm dead, my name will be remembered in history. Why does that matter? Guys like us, we're not meant to fit in, we're meant to stand out. But I've felt it, it's addicting. So I need to do something that's gonna just tame the beast. If not, it's gonna seep in other ways I wouldn't want it to in my life. Are you happy? I think 2013 was my great depression. I wasn't able to fight and then I just felt like I don't deserve it. This world, one thing I've seen, they'll build you up and then tear you down. People naturally just want to see you fail. I had to take a hard look at myself and I put that pressure on myself like, watch this. I don't feel like I have anything to hide. I put things out there that I probably shouldn't sometimes, but that's my way of being vulnerable where I'm just like, this is me. So without further ado, I'm Stephen Bartlett, and this is The Diary of a CEO. I hope nobody's listening, but if you are, then please keep this to yourself. Yes. Thank you for being here. Massive inspiration for me in so many ways. And I've watched your your rise over the years with with inspiration and um, admiration for so many reasons. Reason number one, we have a, a I guess, a shared heritage in the fact mm-hmm. that we're both from I'm I'm Niger. half Nigerian. You're Nigerian as well. And, yes, and your story, as I read it, it sounded so bizarrely like my story in so many ways. And then the other, I mean, I could, there's an exhaustive list of reasons why you've inspired me personally, but then seeing what you've done with yourself as a brand, as a marketeer, again, inspired me in a completely different way. And sure. I'll never forget, and I played it for my girlfriend last night, mm. your entrance against Robert Whittaker. For the first time. The first time. Yeah. And I'm like, this guy is breaking the rules. Yeah, the entrance, um, for me, that was, uh, I felt like that was my way of staying away from the fight in a way. Because I know that night Robert was just like stewing over the fight. Yeah. He was sleeping. He wouldn't, he, no, not, he wasn't sleeping. I'm sure he was just worried about the fight, thinking about the fight, just thinking about. But for me, I was literally, I fell asleep with my phone in my hand, watching my rehearsals for that entrance. Like, this is going to look sick. Replay. Probably replayed it like 60 times the night before and I fell asleep with my phone in my hand watching that, just the rehearsals. So it was like, there was no paralysis over analysis. I was just like focused on how sick that was going to look. And it was Mm. fun for me. It was my way of authentically expressing myself with my roots and dancing and just being creative. So when it was time to show out, you know, I showed out, you know, Mm. and it was my show this time. Like, you know, um, when Robert and Kelvin Gaston's fight, fell out the morning of the fight before two, three, four. Um, that was a that was a Melbourne yeah, Rod Laver Arena, Melbourne as well. I wanted to do an entrance and, and Dana was like, uh uh-uh, uh, not allowed. No, nah, can't have it. This and that, rah, rah, rah. So when it was two, four, three, I was like, look, this is my show. I'm doing this entrance. I don't give a fuck what you think. And yeah, I made sure I did it and look how it turned out. It was iconic. And you realize though, because when I, I remember, I, was, I must have been 3 a.m. here when I was watching that. Mm. I'm thinking this guy's put more pressure on himself that he didn't need to put on himself. Yep. He has to win now. Exactly. I love that. I like to gamble, but I like to gamble at the highest level. I like to gamble with like the biggest stakes, you know, because I feel like whenever I get that win over that, and I, it just, it just feels that much better. And I feel like, I don't know, you just, ah, oh, there's a feeling, I, I don't know how to describe it, but it's just, because, you know, people are watching that, just like, fuck, like, especially mm-hmm. those who don't like me, like, 
fucking hope this cunt gets dropped. I hope this guy gets knocked the fuck out. You know, he thinks he's the man walking out, dancing, all that shit. So, you know, people naturally just want to see you fail. They're like, this guy thinks he's that good. On a, like, that was 57,127 people in attendance. And I put that pressure on myself, like, watch this. And yeah, for me, there's something special about just overcoming that. That just gives me that that rush. Mm. Mm. Speaking of entrances then, you were born in Nigeria. Mm. Um, as I said, I'm half Nigerian. And then you moved to New Zealand. What, what was the reason why your parents decided to take you out of Nigeria and move you to another country? I think it was um, initially better recognized tertiary education. Because, you know, I mean, when I'm in New Zealand, I sometimes I'll be you know, talking to a cab driver and you find out that he was a medical doctor back in Sri Lanka or back in India and then moved over to, you know, NZ or the Western world for a quote-unquote better life and their their qualifications aren't recognized in the Western world, you know, but they're a surgeon or something crazy back home. So then they have, they're forced to take these, um I guess, menial jobs or start up a new business. And yeah, they wanted us to have better recognized tertiary education yeah, worked out all right for me. But you were really smart anyway in in Nigeria when you got when you got to New Zealand. You were smarter than the class. I remember you saying that they thought you. were- Yeah, oh yeah, like- that, that, but I was like, the I was in form one. I remember like it was um we're doing two times table, and I was just like, yeah, I knew the song in my head. Yeah, two, yeah, yeah. finished. And I remember when I finished, everyone was like, whoa, like, and I, I'm like, I'm the runt of our people. Trust me. Like, I'm not the smartest, you know, kid in the class back in Nigeria. So when that happened, I was just like, what's up with these kids? Like, this is easy. This is light work. I did Form 1 actually three times. So I did it first time when I was 10 years old in Nigeria, Bell's boarding school. And then when I moved to Ghana for about a year and a bit, I had to do, no, about, yeah, a year and a bit, I had to do primary six and then Form 1 again. And then when I moved to New Zealand, I had to do Form 1 again. Then I skipped Form 2. And then went straight to form three because mm. it was, I just kept, they were like, oh, he's too young. You know, he can't, mm. and each country was like, oh, he's too young to be in form one. So yeah, uh, but I wasn't like, I wasn't the most academically gifted kid. I'm smart, but I'm smart in different ways. Yeah. When um when I was reading about your story, the, the other part that really resonated with me was we we came from Botswana and we mm. moved to a place called Plymouth in Devon and Cornwall, okay. which is like a farmland. It's like uh, if you go four hours, yeah, yeah. yeah. four hours into the, the the end of the country that way, yeah. where it's all cows and fields, yep, and all white people, yeah. That's where we moved, and we're the only black family. My mum's Nigerian, yeah, and um, that process of trying to figure out why I was different to my classmates and why we were poorer and all these. I always said of I was like I never realized I was black till I left Nigeria, yeah. And uh, it's not that I didn't know my skin tone. It was just like, I never knew like it was a problem. You know, I never knew like people would, you know, I guess discriminate against me because of my skin tone. And it was weird for me. It was really weird for me to kind of like, almost like another type of culture shock. Like uh, the one I used was an example was this kid who kept on riding by my house in the weekend from school and would just like hurl insults, you know, at, at me, at my house, in my house, in the weekend. He took time out of his fucking day on a Saturday, and then go back to your country, black and knees, and then drive by again and say, oh, you black this, you blah, blah, blah. And I was like, I literally was just like, did I do something to this kid? I know his name even, I remember his name, not his last name, but still, I was just like, what fuck, like, what did I do to this kid to like, did I, did I do something? And then that Monday, was it a Monday or Tuesday, the following week, 
he pulls up to me and like, what a black boy. And I was having a bad day already. And this is after like lunchtime when it was about to end. And he pushed me. And I remember just wailing on him, just threw him to his K block, beat his ass, threw his B block, beat his ass. And I just, I was crying the whole time, just beating him up. And I wasn't a fighter back then, but I was just fed up and pissed off. Like, who the fuck is this kid? Like, first of all, you harassed me all weekend. And then at school, you're harassing me. Yeah, he never did that again after that. Yeah. What was your relationship like with your race at that point? Because I, I got to be honest, I started like relaxing my hair and I started, I did. And I was trying to, I was trying to be white. I was trying to be fit in. Like yeah. there was a point even like, I started to try and talk like the Kiwi kids. I tried to like use the same slang. I still do, but like, just because I'm part of the culture, but like, I really try to like fit in, fit in. And I don't know what you mean by relax. I was relaxing my hair because I thought it was cool. You know, it wasn't because I was trying to fit in, but there was bits and pieces where I was just like, man, because everyone just wants to belong, you know, especially as kids, you know, you just want to be part of a tribe or fit in. But then, yeah, when it took me a while to realize that I wasn't meant to fit in, like guys like us, we're not meant to fit in, we're meant to stand out. So eventually I had to kind of stand, it took me a while to kind of learn how to stand 10 toes deep in my own light. But yeah, I was there at one point, you know, trying to fit in and trying to make sure, almost... Like, even during lunchtime, if I wanted to go to the tuck shop, right, I would take the long way. I would, uh, like a rat or mouse, I would scurry <laughs> along the, the edges of the school so I don't get fucked with. And it would take longer, twice as long, three times as long. But at least I didn't have to just walk through and get fucked with, you know, on the way to the tuck shop or something. Because I spent most of my time in the library during lunchtimes, um, I think, in Form 3. Yeah, just because safe in the library. What do you mean by getting fucked with? What would happen if you walked directly I, to the tuck shop? I know someone might just throw an apple at you or, you know, something stupid. Like someone might run up behind you in town, down trial you, you know, uh, or trip you or just chase you, try and beat you up for fun. And people, I don't know, kids are stupid. You know, you're, I was in a boy school as well. So, you know, it's all these boys with... Yeah. <laughs> I know like all yeah. just pent up emotions and unresolved trauma and don't know what to do with their newfound hormones and it's just like ooh, 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 like little chimps and yeah see that's how I, I yeah, know yeah, yeah, yeah definitely so it's like yeah uh, we didn't know I, I, for me it was just yeah as an adult now I, I look at it I'm just like man we didn't know what the fuck we were doing like who who let us like who let us outside, <laughs> you know? But um, it's all part of the learning experience. I feel it's all part of growing pains. Like I know when I have kids, I know exactly what I'm going to tell them, uh, how to handle themselves. If if you know what I mean. What are you going to tell them? Well, one of the ones is hit hard, hit first. To be <laughs> honest, like I don't get like this whole thing. I remember people just like you know, oh, don't don't hit them first. You you know, like if they touch you, then you. I'm like, nah, fuck all that, because. The first punch matters. The first punch matters. So if someone like, you know, is talking to me and pushing me around, pushing me around, smack them. Like, they'll learn first, like firsthand, like, okay, don't fuck with that kid. Even if you might win, at least he's not going to be a, like, make it not easy for them to fuck with you. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So that's one thing I'm, I'm definitely going to teach my kids. It's like, just make sure you're unfuckable, unfuckable with. Mm. Yeah. When I look back at my early years and, you know, having studied a bit of childhood psychology, I realized how like formative and important those early years are. And we we're basically as adults, like living out the stories we told ourselves about ourselves as kids and yep. seeking validation from all the things that all invalidated like childhood from. traumas. And exactly. Whatnot. Yeah. What, it, so, what, what was left behind as you became an a adult? Lot, a lot. Talk to me about One that. One thing, I can't want to go deep. 
definitely being a kid that moved from Nigeria to New Zealand, right? And trying to fit in. I ended up being a people pleaser as a kid. I didn't realize that because I'm trying to fit in. I'm trying to please everyone. And then you don't realize how that follows you into adult life. So there was times, and it's still once in a while, you'd be surprised. It rears its ugly head, but I'm able to like identify that monster now. And I'm just like, right, I know what that is. Boom, and I kill it straight away. So I've learned that over years though. But then that people pleaser is still, still a part of me, you know, because it was a way of surviving. You know, I'll just make sure these guys, oh, cool, don't fuck with me. I, you know, and I just kind of appease them. Yeah, that's one thing definitely that that was the result of just, I guess, trying to fit in. It's just people pleasing. And it's not it's not the best way to live. It's not the best way to live because you can't make everyone happy. And someone's always going to find something wrong with what you're doing or how you're living or whatever. So, yeah, I it took me a long time. But eventually I got to the point where I just don't, I really don't care what anyone else thinks. Apart from those who I give a fuck about, I care what they think. But anyone else who is not really... I guess I don't have any emotional attachment to fuck them. Mm. Like Bernie Mac said, fuck them. <laughs> yeah. And when you say people pleasing, mm. to be to be to be specific in the examples of you being a people pleaser, do you mm. mean on social media or like to the public even before to be social media? Or do you mean no, no? Before social media, this is when I was a kid, like in high school. People pleasing, as in the sense of like you know, um, someone asks you to do something, you might not want to do it, but you'll do it just because you just sure you want to fit in. Because that guy, you know, he, you know, I guess he's one of the first 15 jocks who played rugby or whatever. And you're just like, oh, you know, I'll I'll, I'll do what he says just because you want to get that. It's almost like clout or social currency. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So, yeah, things like that. But, um, yeah, it took me a long time, like I said, to learn and realize those things. This is a lot of self-reflection, years of self-reflection and realizing. Because a lot of people don't even realize they're running on old you know, childhood trauma, like a lot of everyone is. So you have to find a way to sit down and just access that with yourself. Through therapy is one of the best ways. And then you just work you. It's like reverse engineering. Like, where does that come from? You know, mm. why Why am I like that? Why am I, why do I have that attitude? Why do I think like that? Mm. And then, yeah, you and your therapist kind of work that back and realize, you know, where that comes from. As I was reading through your story, and you know, you, mm. you sit here as this unbelievable UFC champion. And then as I read through your story, there's all these little subtle hints of what almost sounds a bit like imposter syndrome mm-hmm. at certain times, like this guy not believing that he's deserving of what he's achieved. And it's, it really sits in contradiction to Who the I guy am. that did that backflip coming out against Robert yeah. Whittaker. So I'm like, <laughs> where did that come from? Tell me about that. Um, so I think some of just same thing, trauma, childhood trauma, some of that stuff. Um, I've dealt with it very well now. <laughs> To the point where it's like, there was times, um, I used an example when uh, I think I, would, I was speaking to Forbes not long ago, and we we dived into this a little bit. So when I when I beat Rob, right, I wanted my gifts to myself. I bought myself a McLaren 720S. Nice. And I, um, the first day I got it, I remember I drove to the gym. Uh, this is at peak you know, time at the gym, maybe 6, 5.30 p.m. or whatever. And I didn't park it at the front of the gym. I parked it at the back of the gym and I showed some of my teammates, like my close, close actual teammates, mm-hmm. not the people that go to the gym. Because sometimes a lot of people like to be like, oh, I'm Israel's teammates. Like, no, you just go to the same gym as me. Doesn't mean we're teammates. So I parked it at the back of the gym. And then after my teammates finished working, I was like, yo, come check this out. And I showed them and I was like, like fuck, look at this shit. Like, because they know how the work I put in, I, I work hard. 
But then I'm like, man, I'm not the I'm not the best student in the gym. So imagine if I can do this, imagine what they can do. So I kind of just just to share the share my joy. And then, you know, unfortunately, especially in New Zealand, there's this tall poppy syndrome and is that green-eyed monster. And I've been that kid. So I, it's easy for me to recognize it on other people when you've when you've had it with yourself. Um so someone said something, you know, I must be nice. And I started to hear rumblings of, I know, it happens. Uh, you, uh, For me, it was the same thing. I was just like, man, I didn't expect that from someone that I cared about to to have that kind of rhetoric. Like, uh, and then I heard, like, you know, maybe, you know, like other people, they're more deserving people. What? I know. Yeah. And they kind of just pissed me off. more deserving people. Yeah. At the gym because they work harder than me. Right, right, right. And like I said, I didn't, if I wanted to flex, I would have parked it in the front of the gym, like, you know, look at my new whip mm. and just to like flex and just show off or whatever. But now nah, I parked it in the back of the gym where only like seven people saw it and the seven people that I really give a fuck about. And I wanted them to see like, look, look at this shit. Like, fuck, if I can do this, imagine what you can do. So when I heard that, I didn't drive it for a week. I just, I just felt shit driving it. I remember driving it home and I just felt like shit. And I just parked it in the garage and I just left it there for a week. I didn't drive it because I felt... Like I, I let those words from that person I gave a fuck about seep into me, and then it, it sat with me. And then I just felt like, oh yeah, I mean, I don't deserve it, you know. You know, other people work harder than me at the gym, this and that, right, right, right. But then it took, like I said, about a week. Over that week, because I mean, it was a fucking sick car. I, I literally didn't drive it for a week, and got to the point that I realized during that week that towards the end, like. Well, that's subjective. If they don't think I deserve it, that's their own opinion. That's subjective. That's what they believe. I don't have to believe that. And like you said, that is that that imposter syndrome thing started to creep in. I was like, look, maybe they don't think I deserve it. But one thing no one can ever take away from me is that I earned it. Every fucking thing I have, I earned it. And I earned this fucking whip. And I have a right to drive this thing and flex. And once I got the, over that hurdle in my head, boom, I was in that bitch and I was whipping it around. But yeah, is that like that imposter syndrome thing creeped crept in when I heard that from, and it was through the grapevine as well. But man, it was from someone I really like. I, I was like, man, why would he say that? I just, I just, and, and people learn. This is over now. It's a long time ago. You know, this mm-hmm. is Whitaker fight, but it's something. It, it said more about them than it does about me. You know what I mean? It it says more about them than it does about me. So I shouldn't have let that affect me at all. But I did because I give a fuck what that person thought because they're a close person to me. And unfortunately, sometimes it's the ones close to you that will hurt you with that. Yeah. There's something really remarkably sort of liberating and amazing to hear a UFC champion talking about imposter syndrome because it really does fit, feel like, it feels like there's, no, and this is, I know this is an obvious misconception. It yeah. really doesn't feel like someone with your swag and confidence could feel those yeah. things. Um, you talked there about therapy as well. Mm. And when you spoke to, to Joe Rogan about therapy mm. and about after your UFC debut, yeah. that swell you went through, I wrote about this in my book mm. because I, I got really compelled by the, this really bizarre thing that happened in my life when my company joined the stock market and I'm sat in my room yeah. in Manchester and it's worth 300 million and I'm figuring out how much money that means I've got. Yeah. And it feeling like the worst day of my life. And then when I you know, heard you talking a little bit about how you felt after your UFC fight, hiding in the toilet when people are pestering you to ask you questions oh, yeah, and yeah. that annoying dude sitting down next to you when oh, you tried bro, to hide. Yeah. After my UFC debut, uh, the after party, it was, a, after the fight, it's always, like I said, I get pulled in so many different directions and it's just like, it was my first time in the UFC. So I, I was my first time experiencing all that. And it's like coffee. It's a stimulant. 
coffee is a stimulant. So after your UFC debut and you show out like the way I did, you know, I, I, I stole the show. I came in there and I stole the show and it was just like, psh, 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 cameras, this, oh, we need you to interview this, oh, come talk to this person, talk to this person, da, 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 da. And then I didn't get time to myself till I got back home. And when I was back home and I was in my own house and finally away from all the noise and it's just like, whew. And then I remember, it's like coffee. You drink coffee, you're, you got the coffee high and then you crash. So it was literally that, like just lack of the stimulant. And I just crashed. And I was like, why am I sad? And I just found myself being really sad. And I remember, it's probably on my old phone, me documenting my recovery. Because I was just like, like video diaries, that is. I was like, why am I sad? Like I made six figures in my UFC debut. That's including the bonus as well. Yeah. And I'm just like, there's no need to be sad. I fucking killed that shit. And that's when I started to kind of like take therapy seriously because I was like, okay, this is not, I'm not going to be one of these bad statistics, you know, that you hear about in the, in, in entertainment. So yeah, I, um, I had to, I guess, take a, take a, take a hard look at myself, but then therapy helped with that. Cause then you find the right person who can kind of help you, I guess, figure you out. And all they do is just ask you the right questions and then show you, I guess, yourself. Yeah. Can you, because I heard you say that you picked up tools from therapy that helped mm. you sort of navigate all of that attention in this new position you were in. What were the tools? Oh, so um, it wasn't until I fought Bronson that I was able to go back home and just kind of like, um, I keep saying, it's like I came back from prison. Uh, what do you call it? Like, mm. weave back into society, regular mm. life normally, you know? Mm. It was until I, that was my fourth UFC fight. But then each fight after that, same thing, I go back home and I just like have this crash. And I had to realize, okay, this this is something that I can't have happen constantly because it's not healthy. A tool I can say that helped me, um, one of the ones that helped was Charlemagne's book at the time, Shook Ones, Anxiety Playing Tricks on Me. I read that during the, I finished reading that actually during the um, Brunson fight, that fight week, I finished reading that. And that, I, I, I got a lot of gems from that book. But from therapy, one, not from therapy, from my own experiences, talking to myself, the self-talk, because you have, we all have negative self-talk, but looking in the mirror and talking to yourself, you know, speaking to yourself like you would to someone you're giving advice to, because when you look in the mirror, you humanize yourself. And I'll start to like, you know, just have a conversation with myself, even like G myself up if I want to big myself up, things like that. So that's a tool that I feel like is really underrated. And it looks crazy, you know, mm -hmm. standing in front of the mirror and talking to yourself, but it's a really powerful tool if you know how to use it right. Fighters don't talk much about their mental health. Mm. I think Whitaker did the other day and you, you kind of thanked him and applauded him for doing that, for being vulnerable. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I put him in a dark place after that first fight. And I understand because guess what? He was trying to do the same thing to me. Um, a guy I respect is um, Tyson Fury because he's he spoke about that, you know, to ends. like And how dark he went. He went to like the depths of hell in his own head. And then he's risen above it. And he says, like, he battles with it every day. I feel like, look, there's your spectrum of physical health. This is super healthy, super ill. If you do not look after yourself and your physical health, you're going to get physically ill. Same way if you don't look after your mental health, you're going to get mentally ill. So I feel like if you're, it's like someone saying, like, you know, oh, I don't go to therapy, fuck all that shit. No, 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 no. It's like, well, do you take vitamins? Do you go to the hospital? It's not something to be, you know, shy, like uh, whatever from. It's, I feel like you should look after your mental health the same way you look after your physical health. So once I learned how powerful that was, I'm always on top of it. 
I slip up obviously because I'm human mm. and I get ill. But yeah, I always make sure I'm I'm on point though. Was that your hardest moment with your mental health after that UFC debut in your recollection? Hmm, not my hardest. I think 2013 was my great depression. There was a time in 2013 that life was just like spiraling bad. It's early 2013. I remember at the time my girl left me, the business I was working with was failing, work was shit. Um, I had my jaw broken in 2012 and I wasn't able to fight. So I really had no like, not purpose, but like something that I was looking forward to, you know? There was a time during that 2013, there was a time where I was walking Millie home one time. And I remember this is when I was really broke. And I remember just looking in this dairy or like this corner store. And I was just like, I wish I could just go in there and be like, look, just give me the money you have. I don't want to hurt you, but just give me. And I remember just like, it was a fleeting thought. And I was like, man, and that made me empathize with people. I was like, this is why some of them do it. They just have no other choice. Obviously, I'm not going to do it because I'm not, I'm not an idiot. But I realized, like, this is why some people do what they do because they have no choice. They just want to eat. I was lucky enough that no matter how bad it got, I always had my parents supporting me. If I hit my dad, dad, can you please just loan me 100 bucks? Can you just give me 200 bucks? Da, 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 da. They would always support me. And I never went to them often, but whenever I needed to, they were always there for me. So I never had to go to that point where I was. Just, and I would have never anyway, because I'm not stupid. Mm. You you refer to that moment as your your Great Depression. Yeah, 2013. What, what got you out of that Great Depression? To be honest, once I had my fight, so then I fought in June, I believe, that year, finally, after six or seven months, because I had to take time off after the surgery, fighting, and then I realized my purpose again, like, okay, I know what I want to do. So I didn't fight for a long time because it was, yeah, it was just really, it was dark times. Not, you know, something you're passionate about, something you, what I moved to Auckland to do and I, it got taken away from me. So then I wasn't able to do what I wanted to do. And then once I got it back, it just kind of reinstated to myself. Like, I know who I am. I know who the fuck I am. So, yeah. There's something really sort of telling about that, that mm. your lowest moment was when you'd lost so much, you'd lost connection in terms of your girlfriend mm. and you'd lost orientation and purpose and something to aim for in your life. Yeah. And you see that in young men. I mean, the, the, the single biggest killer of men in this country under 45 Suicide. is themselves. Yeah. yeah. It's mad. Mm. And it's like, how do we get young men to have a sense of purpose and meaning in their lives in the modern world? Mm. How do we get that back into them? And I, funnily enough, I, I go to the gym around the corner. I could go to some posh gym. I go to yeah. the gym like down there yeah. in the in the ends, it's like 15 pounds a month. Yeah. And it's all black and Asian young men. And I, when I'm in the gym, I'm looking around and I'm sat there thinking like, because now I'm on the Dragon's Den, they, they come up to me sometimes. But before that, I was thinking like, the probably the best thing I could do to help um, with suicide rates in this country, other than having these kind of conversations, is like put loads of fucking gyms in this country. Yeah. Because, oh, yeah. You know what I mean? 100%. I feel like I, we were talking about earlier about young men, kids, especially when they become adolescents and they don't know what to do with all this new hormones. They're just filling up their bodies and stuff like that. They need an outlet. Even for me, I've said after this game's done, after I'm done with this fighting shit, when I have a family, at least a couple of times a year, I need to do something that's going to feel like I'm about to die. I feel like I just need to do something that's just going to just, I'm a bit of an adrenaline junkie. So I need to do something that's going to just like tame the beast. 
If not, I just feel like it's going to seep in other ways I, I wouldn't want it to in my life, you know? So I need to find a way to tame the beast. And I feel like this does. Martial arts, what was this a quote? Make savage of the body and civilize the mind. Something like that. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Especially as young men, honestly, like, it, they want to like, you know, sometimes people want to kind of like discredit um, athleticism or, you know, working out or, or you're just a jock or this and that. I hate jocks. I was never a jock in school. So I have a really, really special place in my heart for them. But um, yeah, for me, I just feel like just being able to own your masculinity in a way that's not, not toxic, man, I'm not talking toxic masculinity, mm-hmm. but just being able to just like, work out and a place where you can be a man and just like throw weights around or I like I love rolling with my boys like there's some I, I love lifting even during lockdown I was lifting a lot but there's something to be said when I have a guy like my teammate Brad Riddell or Carlos or Blood Diamond you know on my back trying to choke me out and then you know three two one go and I have to fight the choke something primal about that that just activates this part of my brain that I'm just like fuck it's just yeah it gets me going You are always one decision away from taking your business to the next level. And a decision that's helped me to transform my business is moving over to NetSuite, who I'm excited to say are a sponsor of this podcast. If you don't know already, NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform and one source of truth. It's reduced IT costs because it lives in the cloud so you can access it from anywhere and the cost of managing and running multiple systems because it's in one unified business management suite. My team and I don't have to worry about tasks being manual and clunky and it means that I can be more efficient and to focus on more important things like bringing you the best episodes and guests on this show. So I become one of the 37,000 companies that have already made the move over to NetSuite. NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks, so head to netsuite.com slash Bartlett for a free product tour. Back to the episode. Could you worry about that when, mm. when all is said and done, like you're you're going to have these crazy moments of having like 60,000 people in this arena and coming mm. out doing these like- I'm songs. ready for it. Yeah, and then- I'm ready for the it. The high of that, the adrenaline high of that, mm. when that's all, when you're, you know, when you're done with this game, you said, you know, when you lose the love of the game or whatever mm. it is, do, do, you, do, you pon- do you ponder what that moment would be like for you? A little bit, but I, I'm, I'm ready for it in the sense that I'm not attached to this. I've already, I, I know I'm more than fighting. Fighting, there's more to life than fighting. So I'm not like one of these guys who is attached. Like, you know, I don't even know where my belt is right now, to be honest. I really don't know. I, I'm not attached to it. I know I'm the fucking champ. I know I'm who I am. I know who I am. And I'm a champ without the belt. It's just a fancy tiara. I've said that from the jump. But I'm not attached to it to the sense that it's my identity, that this is all I am. So when it's all said and done and I'm, you know, I'm not the UFC middleweight champ anymore. I'm retired. I'm not going to be like, who, who am I? I know who I am without the belt. So that's the that's the blessing in that. But a lot of people don't. A lot of people are like, you see them walk around with the belt constantly and they just, they're attached to that. Like that's who they are. So when it's gone and it's said and done, that's why a lot of people who are supposed to be retired still end up talking to the media and finding their way to get their um, name in the in, in this in, you know in the spotlight because they they're addicted to that. It's addicting. Trust me, I've been there. I've, I've felt it. It's addicting. Attention. That's the, that's the social currency now. Attention, even at the highest level, fame, clout. This is all. These are these are tangible things. I've seen it. I've seen what it does to people, man. 
funny story. I saw this, um, when I was in New York, I fought Brunson, right? That week, I saw this YouTube video of a guy in Times Square in New York. He was there regular, easy, didn't, you know, just walking around, didn't get bothered. And then he went there at nighttime, hired an entourage, hired camera people, addressed the part. That I clip. I saw that clip. And people were like, starting to like, who's this guy? And fake then, famous dude. Exactly. Fake famous guy. And they're like, oh, and then the camera guy would ask him, so how do you know uh, David? And someone would be like, uh, I, I heard his last album. It was pretty good. Or I heard a single on the radio or, or I saw him in spite of People would just lie through their teeth, you know, and just say whatever they think he is. And it's like, you know, you obviously don't know the guy. You can just say, oh, I don't know who he is, you know? And I've had that. So when that day, that, I'm sorry, that, that week in, in New York, I was doing a shoot for my brand, Engage, in Times Square. I had Jeff and like three other cameras on me. So there's like four cameras on me. And you see people starting to gather around like, Oh, who's this guy? And then some people recognize me. And they, they start taking pictures. And then before I knew it, I start finding people who didn't even know me. Yeah. And they're just like, I just want to take a picture. Have you ever had someone come up to you? I had this when we went to the yep. podcast awards. Yesterday. And they go, hi, um, who are you? And I yep. go, oh, um, Dragon from Dragons. Then they go, bruv. Okay. Oh, man. <laughs> and they want to the take worst. a photo. I, uh, the worst one I remember was, um, I've used this story a few times, but uh, I was at this bar in Auckland. And there was a, a table of like four dudes and two chicks. And uh, I could tell one of the chicks was like the center of attention. So when I came in, the guys were just like, oh, no fucking way, stop it, what the fuck? And they were just showing me love and all that. And I could see, I could feel her energy and I could see her from the corner of my eye just like, <laughs> and then she came up, she's like, excuse me, but who are you? And I was like, uh, don't worry, baby, it's all good. And I was talking to one of the guys taking photos and I could, then she came back again trying to talk to me. I was just like, and then she came, force feed this time. It's like, excuse me, why is everyone giving a fuck? Who are you? I don't know who you are. And I was like, baby, I don't know who you are. And I just fired her off. I was like, I don't care. You don't know who I am. You know, but like the fact that she wanted to let me know that she didn't know who I was, I was like, it was going to hurt my feelings. I was, And I was just like, baby, I don't know who you are. And I remember her face just like, <laughs> she's not used to being treated like that. Exactly. Man, so I'm, I mean? I'm like, I don't care. I, I forget who I am all the time. You know, but the the fact that she thought like it would actually hurt my feelings for her not knowing who I'm like, who the fuck are you? Hmm. You know? How, how how have you made sense with all this this noise when you, you walk through places? Fuck you, the noise, as no, but, I said. But the, the, fa the fame, like what's your relationship, relationship with it? I was thinking about this the other night and I was talking to one of my friends and I was mm. thinking, for me, it's kind of just this thing that's happening outside of me mm. and I'm observing it like a spectator. I like that. I like but, that you know perspective. What I mean? There's no book on this shit. So I've always said like, fuck the fame, but I love the perks. Hmm. I love the perks of fame, but I just, I don't like being famous. You know what I mean? Why? Have you seen Free Britney? Yeah, 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 yeah. Brother, there was a bit yeah. in that, that was one of my, like, I was getting anxiety watching the first half of that. There was a bit, she was driving and then she ran through these red lights and the guys were like, look at her, she's crazy. I'm like, yeah, because you're fucking chasing her. You're chasing her. She's trying to get the fuck away from you and you're calling her crazy. Man, that whole thing, just the way she, when she was trying to buy gas and everyone was just on her. Uh, I even cringe thinking about it because I'm just like, I would hate, I would have, I would hate to be in that position, man. Especially like to be with your family, like your family doing that to you. That's crazy. But yeah, um, fame, it's not, it's not, no one's supposed to be famous. It's not a thing, especially with all these gadgets now. We're not supposed to have these. We're not supposed to have um, people who don't do shit with their lives have such a loud voice in droves 
being able to tell us. Because back in the day, I saw this quote on Instagram. Um, yes, uh, maybe last week or this week about like, you know, back in the day before social media, you only heard from doers. You heard from people who were actually doing shit. You rarely heard from complainers. But now complainers are the ones you hear from the most because they finally have a voice and they, they can be anonymous and hide behind their their anonymity. So, yeah, they're the ones who have the big the big voice now and the doers are just doing. So people start to eventually believe the complainers. And it's a weird paradox shift now in, in this day and age. So, like I said, you have to be able to sift through the noise. And I have my ways of doing that. And I guess you'd also only hear, if you go back even further, from people mm-hmm. in your tribe. Right? Exactly. We're only, supposed that, we're only supposed to have like certain amount of people mm-hmm. we associate with as, as the human animal. Mm-hmm. But then like social media and the connectivity we have now has just made us connected to the whole world. Made the world a small place that you can just, even confirmation bias. That's another thing we have mm-hmm. to be careful about. Like, And I, I make sure, because I follow certain people on Instagram that I don't necessarily agree with. Mm-hmm. But I follow them just to like, Hear the other side. I want to know. Amen. Just to like, because I don't want to be surrounded by yes men or people like, oh, I only follow uh, you know, this because this tells me what I need to know, what I want to hear. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. So now nah, I, I follow certain people just because I'm like, uh, they make me feel a certain way. But I'm like, they're not wrong though. Mm. You know? And it's just different ideas. It's not wrong or right. So it's different ideologies. But I'm just like, you know what? I'll tap into that just so I can at least be aware of the other side, what they're thinking. Yeah. And that kind of brings me to what I heard you say about Rogan when you defended mm-hmm. him, because yeah. Rogan's one of those people for me as well. Like I can listen to his shows and his his, his podcast and stuff, mm. and I don't have to agree with everything. Of course, but there's a diversity. Yeah, yeah, I don't have sometimes. to agree with his guests. That's yeah. what it means. But there's a diversity of opinion. Yeah. So I can, and I feel like people these days, as we've all observed, they don't want to hear anything outside of their own. It's it's either left or right, and it's the other side yeah. is wrong, and if and there's nothing in the middle. Bro. And if you say one thing that represents the other side, like they just defend- you in a box yep. right away. But that's the thing. I'm, I'm like the, this whole fucking situation we have with COVID now and what we're doing in society is a strange times, man. Because people are just the human animal is weird. It's a weird fucking species. Because individually we can be smart, but when we're in droves, just just just. Dummies, just a <laughs> bunch of dummies in droves sometimes. I'm like, how can a smart person have this idea about this? When you know what's really happening, you really, it's like if you if you really step away from it, like you said, just remove yourself from the situation and look at it from a third person as, a, as an observer. You just watch it and just be like, I know what that is. But then somehow the smartest people I've, I know sometimes just have the weirdest way of looking at the world. And I try not to hold it against them because I'm like, I know you, you're a smart person, but maybe the way you were brought up or your own childhood trauma again can kind of skew the way you look at the world. So I never hold it against them. I just kind of like, it's not personal. It's not about me. It's about them. So mm-hmm. just observe. But yeah, it's weird, man. Very weird. Very strange. And they're just, I guess, trying to fit in too. They're trying yeah. to be part of a oh, tribe. Oh, yeah, exactly. Tribe, yeah. yeah. So it's like mob mentality. Mm-hmm. Even with, um, I, I remember when Andrew Schultz said recently, he's like, on a, one of his podcasts, he said he regrets getting the vaccine. And yeah, he said he wishes he never did. What's like, people, I find this really strange that people like, people don't want to get duped. People don't want to get duped. People hate feeling like they got had. Mm. And if people, if someone felt like oh you know they they got duped they kind of want to get people into their tribe so can they can 
you know, we've, we've got you on our side. I'm like, I don't care what side you're on. I literally don't care whether you want to do this or you do that. All I care about is how you treat people, how you treat the people around you, the people you interact with. But nah, this day and age, like I find people asking me the strangest questions, like, and then they'll base their, how they treat you based on that response. Like, are you vaccinated? That was one of the weirdest ones. I was like, why do you care? Yeah. What does that do for you? Well, we need to decide who you are for exact, that one decision. We want to know yeah, which, what box to put yeah, you yeah, in. Yeah, yeah. It's like, why? Yeah. So I like to fuck with people and just like, ah, maybe I am, maybe I'm not. We'll find yeah. out. But then they're just like, no, but we need to know. But you're yeah, we, like, do you know, yeah, who I'm side like, are you on? <laughs> exactly. I'm Mad. like, why do you care? Yeah. And this is the thing with division as well. I've said like, they, they, they divide and conquer. That's the easiest way to break a, you know, a, 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 a nation or a group of people, just divide them and separate them, make them think that one is on the other side and this and that and make them fight amongst each other. That's how they've done it for years, for centuries. The oligarchs or the Illuminati or whatever you want to call it, they divide and conquer. This is how they get it done. So why do you think that like, they're not doing that right now? Mm. In so many different ways. So many different ways. I I consider myself... to to be someone that sits in the middle. So like sometimes I agree I don't with this. Even, I don't fuck with politics. Yeah. I don't, I don't no. so you know, Nigerian parents, yeah. my dad used to have CNN or BBC on the telly all the fucking time, constantly just on repeat. But I just don't watch the news. Mm. I, I literally don't listen to it. Um, you know, in New Zealand, we, we used to have um, like an update with this whole COVID shit on Mondays, I believe, around 5 p.m. Mm. I never once was like on a Monday, like, ooh. Yeah, gotta get <laughs> Oh fuck! Okay, but everyone else is just like, oh, has they, have they made the announcement? Yeah, I'm just like, mm. I get the, I get it, new secondhand. I'm like, what do they say? Oh, cool. I will let it, because I just the rules don't apply to me. Mm. That's how I feel. I just, I really, and I, it's just my ego talking. I'm not talking the rules or the law. I'm just talking like, no matter what they say, I can do, or I can't do. Like example, we were locked down for three months last year in August. During that time, there was things we weren't allowed to do, like train. I trained, allegedly. <laughs> yeah. But I found ways. Like I just felt like the rules that apply to me. Because, I mean, in the beginning of the pandemic, trust me, I was scared. I was, I didn't know what this fucking shit was. It felt like the purge. But then eventually, after all the bullshit, after a year and two years, I kind of like, okay, like everyone else, we, we just knew what was going on. There's some kind of other... I guess agenda behind it that we have no fucking idea about. I'm not going to act like I fucking know. But I just know that this doesn't make sense to me. Hmm. It does not make sense to me that, I don't want to get too deep into all that shit, but like mm, literally doesn't make sense to me. The common sense was just not commoning. It was not mm. common enough. So I was just like, okay, this is, there's something going on here that I'm not fucking with, but I'm going to live my life the best way I know how in the lines of what I can, allegedly. I hear you. When you said at the start about the cartwheel, you, you said, you know, you just wanted to be authentically yourself. And this mm -hmm. kind of links to what we're saying now. From when I, when I was, I joined BBC One as a dragon, I started thinking about how I defend myself from the inevitability of being cancelled, mm. either for the people that I speak Try to me. here. Yeah. And one of the ways that I kind of concluded with my team was, mm. well, if I'm always myself and I don't ever try and convince the press that I'm a good guy. <laughs> Bro, this, this is where, this is the... This is the trap that a guy like John Jones fell into because he was always like the pastor's son. He was yeah. always like, you know, uh, um, after a fight, I want to thank Jesus. You know, I want to be sponsored by Nike and, you know, all kids. You know, I want to be someone kids look up to. I want to be a good role model. Right, right, right. Fuck them kids. 
Fuck all that shit. You know what I mean? I'm like, bro, people try to say, like, oh, you know, my kid looks up to you. I'm like, raise your own damn kids. <laughs> raise your own damn kids, you know? Like, one thing, after my UFC debut, some guy, so I, at my after party, I had this shirt, right? It said, good cunt from Engage. Classic. Sold it. Still big seller. And some guy, <laughs> oh, straight up. It was the beautiful shirt. Like, and also it was like a, a play on a famous designer brand, GC. Like, mm. yeah, so we, 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 you know, we sold those. We still sell them heaps. But um, this guy came up to me and he was interviewing me at my own after party and I could see he was trying to set me up. So then he's like, oh, so what do you, yeah, so what do you think a t-shirt like that sends? What kind of message does it send? I'm like, what do you mean? And he, he thought he fucked with the, he fucked with the wrong one this time. So he's like, what do you think that kind of shirt sends as a message to say, for example, a young, a young kid who looks up to you? And I was just like, oh, really? Oh, so what does that kid look, look up to me for? He's like, well, for being in your position as a what? A fighter, right? Yes. So that kid just saw what I did about a few hours ago when I beat the fuck out of that guy. And he saw where I was taking him. He's just like, no, 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 no. I was like, stay there. And I could see him trying to find a way out. Like, no, no. So that kid just watched me beat this fucking guy to a pulp in his own blood as he spat blood at me. And I beat him in his own blood till the referee dragged me off him. Yeah. Oh, really? So what do you think is doing more damage to the kid <laughs> is 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 me doing that and well, as and the kid looking up to me for that or me wearing a shirt that just says good cunt. Mm. It's this whole fucking culture of like stupid language games. You can say that word and that's a bad word and this and that. So and then I I can't remember how I flamed him, but I flamed him. There was a bit of an audience as well. I flamed him badly. He never released the, the interview, obviously, because he yeah, had no yeah, like to stand on. But he thought he had me, but he didn't realize he fucked with the wrong one. And I just told him I was like, I think. Me doing my job it does more damage to the kid for watching than me wearing a shirt that says "good cunt." You know what I mean? And I hate that—the fact that we're playing these. Because even when I do, some, I don't do New Zealand media anymore because they're too fucking stupid for me and too. Like I did this morning show one time, and I was talking. And I said, "Blah blah blah." Something asked. He's like, "Ah, oh, that's a swear, swear jar, swear jar." I'm like, "What the fuck? This is high school." I'm like, I'm an adult. I know you. I've seen you at fucking Ponsonby Social Club drunk off your face. I know what you do in the bathroom. You know what I mean? So I'm just like, don't try and act like you're holier than thou now and like, oh, you put that in the swear jar. <laughs> mm. It's like this, we're, what, what, what game are we playing? You're playing this stupid game that's like, oh, we can say these words, but we can't say these words. Like, you're an adult. When the cameras go off, I know how the fuck you speak. I know mm. how you talk, you know? Mm. And it's like, why are we pretending we don't speak the way we do because of what? Cause we're on TV. It's just it boggles me sometimes, and I start to like, oh, what game are we playing? It's like it's it's, it's so stupid. As adults, <laughs> we're adults. Like we 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 talk. This is how, this is language. We curse. We swear. But then when the TV comes on, oh, you want to be proper, and you know you must you be you know prestigious and speak. I'm like, nah, fuck all that shit, man. Like let's let's speak the way we normally speak and be authentically ourselves. So that's like, Charlemagne says something, he says, speak your truth so no one can, no one can use your truth against you. Amen. Amen, bro. Like, Amen. trust me, like I, I, I'm able to get away with a lot of things I get away with because I never said I'm a saint. Amen. I know myself. I am a fucking demon sometimes. Trust. There's no good people. There's no bad people. People are just capable of great good and great evil. You know what I mean? But I just try to do more good than bad. But I have done some bad things in my time. Because I'm a human being. Mm. You know what I mean? So when people try and, I guess, put you in a box, like, oh, he's a good guy, or he's this, I'm like, there's no good people. There's no bad people. We're just people. And we're capable of great good and great evil. That's it. Amen. Yeah. 
I, I, in my head, when you were saying that, and you looked me in the eyes and went, I'm a, I've been a demon sometimes. Yeah. I just had this image of well, all the Well, you're Nigerian, so I yeah, really yeah, know yeah. you. That side is uh, Yeah, yeah. No, I, but that's, that's the thing. So when I started this podcast, I know I was going to be on the BBC One at 9 p.m. on this very prestigious show. I was mm. like, by the way, I used to shoplift pizzas to feed myself when I was broke. I did this, I did this, I did this. And you can almost- Put it out there. It's exactly, right? And you can almost, in my head, when you said that, I could, I was imagining the press here just packing up their suitcases and fucking off and being like, we, got, we can't use him. Bro, trust me. We can't me. use this guy because he's not tried to- He's not trying to tell us that he's exactly. something, he's not built this big hill of moral perfection. So we got to go find, you know, we got to go find someone else. They can't fuck with me. Cause you know why? If like, there's a reason I've stayed off TMZ. I've never been on TMZ, knock on wood, never will mm. for the wrong reasons. But I mean, one day if something happens, I just happen to be on TMZ for the wrong reason. I'd be like, whoopsie, my mm. bad. I made a mistake, but guess what? I never told you I was perfect. Exactly. I'm normal. I'm human being. And so I'm just like, that, that that's my power is being vulnerable with my faults. You know, I'm not gonna say I've done this, I've done that, but I just know I'm not I'm not perfect. I'm a human being. I make mistakes and it's okay to make mistakes. The difference between me and some people is that I actually learn from my mistakes and I don't make the same mistakes over and over and over again in the public eye. Like some people. John Jones. That's one. That's a classic example, obviously. The same fucking mistake. We had a guest come on this podcast in December mm. and um, she said that she was making the point about everyone having the same 24 hours in the day. This mm. was kind of the quote she used. And it became the number one story in this country for three days. It trended number one on Twitter. It was on hundreds of newspaper articles written about it because mm. I think maybe her brand is one that is trying to be a role model. Oh, so wow. so it, she was a t it was the number one trending topic in our country for three what days. What was the story? That she said everyone has the same 24 hours in the day. Oh. Right, exactly. So I came out and said, by the way, loads of my guests say that all the time. Why are you attacking that? And yeah. then my next press event, right? I, I wore a shirt that said 24 hours on it. Everyone clapped. I didn't get canceled. And I said, am I canceled? I wore a shirt and all the paps are there. Da, 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 da. Hours. I said 20, wrote 24 hours in the shirt. And this is what I'm, this is my, that was my attempt again to say, by the way, I'm not perfect. And if you want to cancel me, please do it now so I can get on with my life. Yeah. And well, I'm still yeah. waiting. They've tried. They've tried yeah. me. They, they keep trying me. I'm just like, look, it's hard to cancel someone when they actually don't give a fuck. You and they've been themselves. I'm, I'm like, I fight people for money. That's what I do for a job. I beat people up for a shitload of money. Mm. If you really want to take my political views or my moral views into consideration and say this and that and right, 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 that's on you. Mm. I'm like, this is, I'm not, I never said I'm a saint. I'm not a fucking politician. I don't, everyone, I don't feel like I have anything to hide. Like I said, I put everything, not everything, but like I put things out there that I probably shouldn't sometimes, but that's my way of being vulnerable to the point where I'm just like, this is me, take it or leave it. But I feel like me doing that attracts the people who can re relate, who can resonate. And I feel like they gravitate towards me. You don't talk yeah. about your relationships, your romantic nah, relationships. Never, I keep never. that away, nah. Is it because of protecting the person or, or? Look, this world, one thing I've seen is they'll build you up, right? They'll build you up and then tear you down. Like a Free Britney, um, Miley Cyrus, Justin Bieber, all these people, I've seen it happen so many times. So, and also this world just takes. They just take, take. When I have kids, you'll never know. The world will never know their face. I don't, I'm even contemplating if I still give them my last name because I don't want to put that pressure on them. Because even my my siblings, sometimes they hate it as well. Where it's like, you know, oh, oh this is um, this is Dave. This is Israel's brother. Oh, this is um, 
it's Deborah, it's Israel's sister, or Stop being the sister. And they're like, oh, my name's Deborah, you know? Like, I don't want to put that on them. Same thing with my relationships. That's certain things I protect because I value them so I keep them safe because the world will just try and take, take, take. And that's one, that's one thing everyone wants to like, know what's he doing? Who is he with? Apparently mm. I'm gay as well because of my nails and my pearl mm. necklaces and all that stuff. So I'm just like, ah, let him talk. It's fun. But have you found it difficult because of the success and the meteoric rise and the money and mm. the increased attention to, mm. to navigate being good in that department and also your obsession with becoming the man you are today, which did feel like an obsession when I was reading about your story, yeah. sleeping in the gym. Yeah. Like, how does one do that and also balance out having- Personal life. Yeah. That's regular. I'm a, I'm a human being and I have feelings, you know? So I'm an empath as well. I'm, are you? Yeah. I'm born on the cusp. So I'm like, I say, I'm a cancer Leo. I'm hard and soft, like a semi-chub, you know? Introvert, extrovert. Exactly. My guy. So a lot of people don't realize that about myself. Like when it's time to like go in my, in my, in my crab hole, I just find my way. I'm like, right, leave me on. This is, I love my friends because my close friends, I can, we can do this for hours and just yawn and talk shit and make fun of each other and just show each other love. But then we can spend the next three hours just sitting in the same room, being on my phone, or watching TV, or listen to a podcast and not say a damn word, and just enjoy each other's space. I love that. I love that feeling. But um, yeah, I, I'm a person who who feels a lot, so I like to protect that. I like to keep that really guarded because, like I said, the world will take that away from you, man. And I feel like people ruin things. People, especially like this, this, this is not supposed to happen. The world, I'm being under a microscope, and everyone watching what I'm doing. So certain things I just have, I feel like I just have to really protect because I, I don't want the world to take that away from me because they just take, take. My cat died um, maybe two years ago. The, the morning she died, right? I was, I think I was filling gas up in the afternoon and some guy came up while I'm filling gas and goes, brother, bro, can you talk to my cousin real quick? He's a big fan. And I'm just like, man, bro, my cat just died this morning, man. I'm not really not in the mood. And I remember the look on his face just like, oh, uh, I mean, all good, all good, whatever. And I was like, ah, give me the phone. I said, like, hello. And this is as I'm filling gas actively. And I was like, what the f hold up, bro, no phones. Like, what What if I spontaneously call? But, but they don't care. They just want to have their moment. They want to take, they want to take, they want to take. So that's why if I'm having dinner with my family, if I'm on a date, if I'm in the intimate moment, people start to like, Bro, I don't want to be that guy. But I'm like, but you're, you're being that guy. You're being that guy. Mm -hmm. You say you don't want to be that guy, but you're being that guy. That's <laughs> like when people say, I'm not a racist. I've got yeah. Oh, like, oh, yeah, bro. It's the worst, man. It's <laughs> but, like, oh, I hate to be that guy, but can I have... I'm like, but you're being that guy. You hate yeah. to be that guy, but you're doing it right now. Yeah. And it's like, I'll be having lunch with you. And within 10 minutes, we'll get stopped probably like six times. With you, I'm probably... If we if we had lunch in London, we'll probably not even have a chance to talk. But they don't care. They just want to get their picture and put on their fucking social media with fucking 20 followers so they can, oh, look, I made the champ, boy. Like, whatever. I'm just like, no, let me have my moment. I'm, I'm, and I've learned this. I, okay, my experience with this, and I always bring this up whenever I see him on, on, on TV or hears raps, most deaf. I see most deaf in common in Auckland Airport and they're having a conversation by the, by the back carousel. And I, I want to fight in Adelaide and I'm coming back home. I have my trophy and I was like, yo, I want to get a picture. And I pull up to him. I'm like, hey, what's up, Most Def? Big fan. He's like, hey, brother, just no photos today, man. And I was just like, yeah, all good. No worries. Easy. And I remember I, 
I was a bit sad, but I understood. I understood because they were in the, middle, in the middle of a conversation, actively talking. I should have had the etiquette to realize like just they're talking, mm. leave them alone. But this is the thing. No one, I feel like it's learned behavior as well. This is one thing because I, everyone thinks they're your biggest fan. It's the same rhetoric. I, I know the lines they're going to say each time, but like it's learned behavior. I don't know. I think it's maybe from TV or Disney or whatever. People feel like when, when you meet someone you really, you're a fan of, you yell at them to let them know how much of a fan you are and you show them by just shaking and da da da. da. I, I honestly think it's learned behavior because I'm, sometimes I'm, I'm like, there's no need for all this. I'll be at like a three. I'm chilling at a two or three at a park. And so, no fucking way. Oh my God. Ah! And I'm just like, <sighs> okay. Like after the Whitaker fight, the first one, I remember after that whole the fight, after the after party on the way back to the uh, back to New Zealand, I remember at the airport, I put out a story just saying like, look, if you see me at the airport or traveling, just approach me lightly because if you come at me with all this energy, I'll walk away. I put that on my story just because I was like, I'll walk away because my capacity to deal with high energy right now was just. Mm-mm. How are you feeling? I was just drained. I was drained. So I was just like, I just want to go home and chill. So I remember at the airport, I just, I was, before, at the hotel, I put it, uh, before I went to the airport, I just put that out there on the story just to be like, look, don't come at me with all this shit because it's too much for me to deal with right now. So if you come at me just like, hey, what's up, bro? Big fan, can I take a photo? That's cool. And I remember that fight week, the week before the fight week, I realized, I had an epiphany. I realized I don't have to match everyone's energy because that was a problem. I used to like, if you're a fan, you meet me. Now I feel, hey, even if I met it, like I said, my cat just died, then I'd have to like raise my level up. Hey, what's up, bro? Hey, do the whole song and dance and all that shit. But I'm like, nah, I don't have to match everyone's energy. Because guess what? Hard pill to swallow. I'm not excited to meet you as much as you are to meet me. It's just a hard pill to swallow. And it's just my everyday life. I'm not excited to meet you as you are to meet me. And that's okay because this is my life. This is how I deal with things. So once I once I kind of like got over that hump, I was like, oh, I don't have to match everyone's energy. So if someone comes to me at a 10, I don't have to raise my level up. I could, I'm just chilling. I'm listening to a podcast. I can just pause and be like, hey, what's up, man? How you doing? And if they feel like that's a shit interaction, cool. That's their prerogative. I don't care. But yeah, if I'm... If you met me last night, like I'm fucking, I'm in the streets in London last night. I'm showing love to everyone. I'm dancing. I'm talking to people. I'm, I'm Mr. You know, Mr. Area Boy, but that's a time and place. I'm taking pictures and you know, all that kind of stuff. There's a time and place. If mm. you catch me at the right time and place, fuck you I'll show you love. Mm. But I hate when people get entitled and think they just I want to take. I want to take. Mm. So that's why I keep, yeah. And you keep your boys and your the people you came up with close, right? Very, well, very. Tell me about the import how how much you realized the importance of that as you've risen to this place, you know, to keep the day ones around you and yeah. stuff like that. I mean, you you'll know this. It's lonely at the top, you know, but it's not if you bring the right people with you. The people that came up with you, the people that, you know, love you for you, you know, the people that know you from before you had money, before you were famous, you know, so um, I like to have them around to keep me grounded, to keep me grounded and just make sure I'm I'm solid because they knew me before any of this shit happens. And, you know, it's hard because sometimes you, I, I've, I have fallen into the trap of having people who just agree with me. Yes, man. You know? And 
even my boy Chance, I'm glad like I have him around because sometimes I'm crazy. I don't always have the best ideas and I'll have an idea. And he'll be like, nah, I'm like, okay, cool. I just needed someone to tell me no, but I'll put it out there. But if he's like, nah, we're not doing that. I'm like, okay, cool. Cause then it just helps me. But if, if I have people around me who just like, uh, okay, sure. Then eventually it just makes me more powerful. And I just start to think like, oh yeah, you know, I'm the shit. I can mm. say whatever I want. And that's not, that's not healthy, man. I don't think that's healthy for the ego, you know? Mm. Yeah. Well, I just like having people like that around me because I feel like, yeah, they keep me grinding and just remind me where I come from, you know? They're, and there's so many stories, man. Each of my friends in my group chat, I've known each of them over 10 years, but well over 10 years, man. And we all have stories we can kind of share from back in the day that just just remind me where I come from, yeah. And the other thing that happens is when you reach the heights you've reached in your profession is, we talked about it then, you have this other... Um, this other attention, which is from women that might want you for the wrong reasons. Oh, yeah. My mum always warns me about this. I have this. a baby bummy. <laughs> My mum's trying to tell me, like, you know. I, I wouldn't go to settle down. <laughs> yeah. I go to find a nice Nigerian to settle yeah, down. Yeah, she wants me to be with a Nigerian woman. Yeah. She doesn't like, I, I, I don't settle. Yeah. I don't settle. So for me, mm, that that's something, I guess, you just, you just have to take it by case-by-case basis. Yeah, case-by-case basis, because... You do find people who just, some people play the long game, put it that way. I've had people play the long game with me, even recently. It's just like, yeah, you know, they, there's love there and all that kind of stuff, but they play the long game because they see the value. And it's not just what you, it's just what you bring to the table and they get entitled, you know? And I feel like that's that's not the way you want to be when you have someone, you know, that's that you're romantically in love with or involved with. It's like, you don't want to be competing with them or have them feel entitled to what you have. I'm like, yo, you just got here. Mm. <laughs> I beam made it. The fuck are you talking about? Mm. What do you bring to the table? I bought the fucking table. What values are you looking for? Do you look for in, in that kind of person? Kind. I just like someone who's caring. Who gives a fuck? Who really cares? Like, and who wants nothing from me? That's the thing. It's hard to find. But someone who needs nothing. I, even for me, I don't even celebrate my birthday. And I'm hard to buy gifts for. Because I'm not really a material. I love material things, obviously. But... Nice watch. Yeah, thank you. I'm sure you know. Oh, yeah, we work. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, nah, but yeah, like I'm not a material person, but I do like material things. But it's hard to buy gifts for me because I found this as well with my rich friends when I was coming up. It was hard to buy gifts for them when someone you're they're able to buy whatever they want. So, but in that and that, I just look for someone who's 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 caring, someone who really gives a fuck. That's the main thing. Do you give a fuck about me? Yeah. And you're gonna have a family one day. Of course. Now yeah. that's my that's definitely one of my main goals after this. I don't want to be that dad that's like, you know, I wake up, see my kids for like 30 minutes before I go to work, and then when I finish work, I see them like for an hour, hour and a half maybe while I'm tired. No. I'm going to make sure I'm there from the ages of 0 to 5 or 6. I'm going to be like, "What do you want to do today?" <laughs> like literally, "What do you want to?" And I feel honestly fuck school. I don't know why we still even have this whole fucking this, this outdated concept of school to just build workers because we know what the fuck school was made for why, why are we pretending we know school was created to create workers do you still know I don't what the fuck is X no fucking idea uh, bro I'm, I'm still waiting still, still <laughs> I don't, I'm like when have I in my life as an adult known what the fuck X is yeah, yeah. no fucking idea a lot of useless information gonna passed on to me in school and I sucked at school because I was shit at memorizing 
Same. I didn't really learn anything. Dropouts, as we do. Cheers. Drop out, my Cheers. man. Cheers. School doesn't teach you much, honestly. <laughs> Teaches you the basics. I understand maths, yes, English, comprehension, all that kind of stuff. But when you come to like social studies and algebra and calculus, I'm like, are you going to use those in the real world? So Fox School, my plan is right. When I have kids, I'm going to have a tutor that's going to teach them from the age at home from the from the time like say maybe 9 a.m. to midday or 1 p.m. and they'll have an hour of homework and the rest of the day we'll just go on adventures doing shit but then they're gonna do gymnastics compulsory because I want to make sure they know their body the foundation of athleticism gymnastics and jujitsu so that way they're involved with other kids and not socially awkward mm. you, know, you don't want to raise some fucking bumpkins who you know don't have any social skills but yeah you, I want to make sure that they have those kind of skills by interacting with other kids through gymnastics or through jujitsu or other like activities and they'll do that every day or every whatever day of days of the week it is but school going there clocking in sitting down watching a teacher write some shit on the board and write, write, write. No one's teaching. They just literally, some of these people just there to ca catch a paycheck. And I've seen it. I was in school. You just see them there, oh, they'll write the shit on the board, whatever. Copy this. Copy, exactly. Copy this. I didn't even know what, because we were doing these, uh, when I was in, in high school, NCEA credits. And I remember just like towards the end of the year, what's all this credits, credits, credits. Not to repeat the whole year. Hmm. But I didn't know what it was. I was like, credit, well, NCEA credits. What's all this credit shit? Credit, 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 credit. I did not care. I didn't understand. I, I just didn't fathom it. But then eventually when I got a grasp of it, I was like, oh, this sucks. It's a shit system. And then they'll give you the D and then you'll feel like you're a D as a human. You identify exactly. with the D. Like, okay, bro, I'm stupid and One of the worst ones I remember was in in boarding school in Nigeria. I was I was bottom three in the class. And of course, they'll have to announce it, the bottom three. And you have to stand in front of the school. They announce it. <laughs> and I'm just like... These are the bottom three of my <laughs> <laughs> With your head down. Yep, that's us. That's, yeah, we're the, we're the ones. I was the lowest. Yes, thank you. Okay, now go and take your seats. Okay, yes, thank you. Oh, the worst, man. And it's just so humiliating, but it's like, it's, I don't know if it's meant to motivate you or what, but I didn't do shit. And like I said, you, a lot of people start, like, if I see that now, even like young people, they start to tie their self-worth. I have a friend in med school who literally like, when it gets crunch time, they just like, I need to get these grades. I need to get the grades up. And they just identify themselves. If I don't get this, I'm useless. This is it. I failed. I'm like, you're 23. Calm the mm. fuck down. It's not that deep. It is obviously it's your career, but I'm like, there's more to life. There's way more to Amen. life than this, than, than, than just this idea of who you think you are. Because when I was fucking 18, I thought I was going to be married and have kids at 23. <laughs> Boy, was I wrong. Damn. I'm like, I don't fuck. Who, who let me buy a house now? I'm like, mm -hmm. why? I don't know. How, who let me do that? I shouldn't. Should have never given these niggas money. Mm -hmm. First of all. <laughs> I don't think they gave it to you. Yeah, you took I, I took all that. Yeah. Yeah, you know I'm, I'm a bankroll. But yeah, like, yeah. I, I don't know what I was thinking back then. I thought like this. I thought I knew what I wanted. So mm -hmm. when I was 18, I was like, I'm going to have kids when I'm 23, 24. Fucking hell. Jeez. <laughs> <laughs> what, what, when you look forward at your, at your you've, I mean, you've reached the top of your game. Mm -hmm. um, how, do you, how do you keep yourself, you know, what is it, the thing that's driving you now? What is the thing you're aiming for now? What's that North Star that's getting you out of bed? Mm, is it well, legacy? What gets people, me out of people bed. talk about legacy. And I, legacy, yeah, big thing. That's legacy. what it is. It's for me, it's definitely the legacy I want to live. Why does that matter? 
I think I want to be immortal. I don't know if it's my ego or I'm selfish or what it is, but I, I just know, look, I did Sonia. The prefix I did is royalty, where we're from. You know, I did from the Yoruba, from the Yoruba tribe. You know, that's that has some royal blood tied to it. I did Sonia. But now, worldwide, the name Adesonya is synonymous with greatness mm. forever, synonymous with greatness. And I'm going to make sure that is, I'm going to make sure if you have that name Adesonya, you're proud to be like, yep, I'm tied to that bloodline. I understand because I don't know. I don't know what it is. Is it my ego? Why is it that fucking King, King Tut wanted to be buried in his tomb with all his gold? Even though he's not going to be there to... Exactly, enjoy it. I don't know. I don't know. But I know when it's all said and done, when I'm dead, my name will be remembered in history. What's that Troy line? And that's why no one will remember your name or whatever it was. But like, I want to make sure that my name will be remembered and revered throughout history as one of the, one of the best in this game. But also just as a person, I just, just, a, just a GC, just a good cunt, just a happy dude who was, who was enjoying life and just, I don't know, making shit happen. But it's more about the feeling, though. I want people to remember my name and just remember the feeling I gave them. You know what I mean? Mm. Like those who are alive to watch, or not alive, or around to watch Jordan's um, reign in the NBA. Uh, I mean, I'm sure when they hear Jordan, they can just remember, I remember that time I was at that game, or I remember that time I watched that that game live, and they remember the feeling. Mm. I want those, like, when they remember my name, to be like, I was there at 243. I remember how I was in the in the arena when he won that feeling. I want, I want, people forget what you say or what you do, but they never forget how you make them feel. So it's the feeling I want to make sure they remember. Yeah. When people reach the top of their game, they start yeah. becoming philanthropists. We see this when people get billions, they figure, because they, they can't mm. seem to get the buzz or the feeling anymore from, yeah. um, from business or success or money or Lamborghinis or yachts. Mm -hmm. So they start like helping other people, right? I'm getting there. You're, you're getting to the point oh, where yeah. you're starting to feel that the greatest service you can do is like for others. Because yeah. when you're talking yeah. about your legacy there, mm. it's actually sounds like, the feeling, that's philanthropy. It's like, yeah. I want to leave this feeling with other people yes. so that they feel, you know, inspired or whatever. Yeah, um, I, I, I'm doing the same thing as well. I'm setting my people up, the people in my circle. I'm not handing anything out to them, but just with opportunities, mm. you know, and also experiences. I'm giving them experiences to inspire them. Um, but yeah, there's things that I do behind the scenes that I don't necessarily, I don't know, like I'm not one of these guys, I don't do it for the likes, I do it for love. Mm. And I feel like there's a bar from Jay-Z, the best form of giving is anonymous to anonymous. So there's ways I just, I drop gems. Like Shaq, I love the way Shaq does it, but he does it quite over at least. Like, you want a bike? Yeah. <laughs> Ask your mom if you have a bike. You got these shoes? How many do you want? You know, like he, yeah. he does like just drop gems everywhere. It makes people happy because it feels good to make people feel good. Even though that is selfish in a sense, because I'm getting, I'm getting something, I'm getting good feels out of it. But still, I'm making someone feel good. I'd rather that, but I'm not doing it to be like, yeah, hey yeah, man, yeah, you know, yeah. I know you're hungry and I just bought you this meal because I really want to show love to you, man. You know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And upload it to the gram and then- Fuck yeah, yeah. I don't do that. Like I, there's things I've done, even Tim will tell you after this. I mean, even for this fight, there was someone that I, I think last year he went through some stuff that I heard about on uh, on the media and I was just like, fuck, I went through that shit as well. And then this fight, I brought him out and I, I showed him a good time. Yeah, he and his mom and I, I, I put them up, got them tickets and just made sure they, um, yeah, they were looked after. And I met him backstage and just gave him a few words of encouragement. And I don't need to bring it up because- Yeah, yeah, like, okay, I hear It's fine, I hear you. Shit, yeah. But yeah, but Tim will tell you about it. When you walked in, mm. the song playing, 
Do you remember the song playing? Hold up. Oh, Victory Lap. Oh, no, that was a uh, Nipsey. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, which one? It was, one? it was from Victory Lap, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Double Up. Double Up. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, every yeah. time. That song gets me every time. Yeah, yeah. When it gets to the chorus, I live up behind when you mm. let me. Oh, it gets mm. me, man. Every single time. I don't know why, but something about that track, it just gets me in my field. I didn't even think about it and I get goosebumps. Mm. Yeah. Double Up's the track, man. When I saw you pre-fight mm. playing that song, that in was, the hotel yeah. room crying. Yeah. And then I saw you in the stands another time crying. Yeah. I guess that was the evidence that you are a bit of an empath. You yeah, do feel. I feel. The last one was, that was when I watched my boy Blood Diamond jump on the scale to weigh in. Um, and I get really emotional. Fight week's like my wedding week. I feel. <laughs> this is why I, I dread getting married because I don't, I, the guest list, I'm just like, I don't even fucking know who I want to like invite because people are going to be like, oh, you didn't invite me to the wedding. <laughs> yeah. I just, I, I like, I that's why I don't celebrate my birthday because it's like a few times a year, there's a whole week that everything's about me. So I don't need another special day that it's about me. So that's why I'm also dreading, like I said, my wedding day or my birthday. Forced fun. Exactly. Something. So yeah. I, don't, I really don't celebrate my birthday, to be honest. Like mm. every day is my birthday. I can do whatever fuck I want. You know, I don't even sell. I don't. I don't buy gifts for people on their birthday. I just buy them if I see something. I say, oh, I, I think she'll like that, or I think he'll Damn. value that. I will just buy it just because I'm like, or give them the experience just because I feel like they'll value that. But um, I know you're not missing Valentine's Day though. Oh no, nah. <laughs> Valentine's Day. I have a special traditional Valentine's Day I used to do, but I can't. I, I don't really play around with it anymore. I just used to like just mad memes on my page and just. Just it's funny. It was just a way. The first time I did it was in 2014. Yes, I believe 2014 Valentine's Day. I was fighting, and throughout the day I was waiting for the fight. I was just bored. Mm. This is before stories on Instagram, so I just put up like 80 posts that day. Just like yeah, I know people got mad at me. People were really entertained, but I didn't care. I was just I was just in that fight mode. So I was just like fuck, putting up posts <laughs> about Vance, just memes and just making just making fun of Valentine's Day. But fuck. Good times, good, good times before I was, uh, I guess, super famous. One of our guests, you, you said you're going up to Manchester on mm-hmm. um, on the weekend. One of our guests, Patrice Everett, is a Manchester United football legend. Yeah. He's a, do you know the guy? No, I see. I don't, football, yeah, yeah. the bug didn't catch me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It didn't catch me as a Sports didn't really catch me as a kid because I was unathletic. <laughs> Funny enough. Yeah, I know. I was never Mad. really an athletic kid. Yeah. Mad. I mean, Patrice, when Patrice came here, he he's from, his family from Africa originally, moved to France, played for the, the French football team. He became this legend, maybe the greatest Manchester United wing back in our history. Mm. Um, he wrote a question in the diary. Um, we always get our guests to write questions That's in the diary. Right. Yes, I heard about this. And this is all I knew about this podcast. I was like, okay, apparently there's a question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So like, there's bet. a question at the end. But in fact, I'm going to read you the question that's been left for you by, I don't actually read it until I look at it. But um, Patrice asked a question, which I thought was really profound because I remember being asked this question one day and it really puzzled me. And it's such a simple question. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to ask you the question. Okay. Are you happy? Right now, yes. Yes, I'm very happy. Why do you say right now? Because it's not lasting, it's fleeting. That's one thing I've also learned as well is, well, you can't enjoy the sunshine without a little rain. And everything is temporary. Everything. Everything's forever changing. So even right now, I'm happy. I'm enjoying life. I love where I'm at. I love who I'm around. I love who I'm with. You know, I I know it's not, it's not lasting because guess what? Something's going to happen that's going to shake that up. Because back in the day, whenever this was happening, I'm just like, it's been a few good days. 
Mm. Things is too nice. Mm. Where's yeah. where the thing that's going to fuck me up? Yeah, but yeah, not, yeah. now I'm just like, this is nice, and I'll just sit in it, and I'll just enjoy it. I enjoy the happiness, and I enjoy what I'm doing, and I enjoy where I'm at. And then when the bad thing comes, I'm like, ah, there it is. It's okay. This is going to pass as well. This too shall pass. Mm. So when I say, yeah, I'm happy right now, I'm happy, very happy. Are you good at defending that happiness? Because because the amount of, you even described it when you came off after your debut, mm. the amount of people that are going to want to talk to you and do an interview in Israel, Israel. Yep. Are you good at saying, no, no, better. I'm better at it now. I never used to be. This is where I was talking about the people pleaser thing back in the day. And this is why this year, one of my things is I don't get fucked up around people I don't like. I don't know. Because <laughs> I realize when I get drunk, I'm too nice. I'm a friendly drunk. I'm like a fucking golden retriever when I'm drunk. <laughs> Or Black Labrador. I'm just like, hey. And, and not everyone's your friend. Not everyone wants the best for you. But they'll just take advantage and try and like, you know. I just let my boundaries get crossed too many times, you know. And I let people get too close, maybe like too. Then the next day, I'm just like, why the fuck did I let that person, you know. Ah, oh, fuck. I wish I'd said no to that. Mm. You know, then I start to like, they'll eat at me for the next few days. So, yeah. Um, I, I, I'm getting... I'm, it's practice. It's constantly evolving. But I know how to say no now. I just say, and I don't have to explain myself. I literally just say no. Because when you're explaining yourself, you're losing. I learned that from Chill Sutton. I remember when I used to listen to his podcast. He said something really profound. Like, when you're explaining yourself, you're losing. So I don't explain myself. I just say no. And if that's, like, if someone's like, can I get a photo? Can I? I'm like, I'm busy. Oh, please. I'm like, no. Because it's like, first of all, you see I'm having, I'm on a date right now and I said no. Or I'm walking with someone right now, having an intimate moment and you're disturbing my peace. So I say no. And if you try and like push, push, okay, no. And something like, oh, fuck, you know, they'll say something stupid or we'll fucking rubble smash you anyway or whoever your next opponent is. I was like, huh, okay. Then I just let them, you know, mm. like, this is why they take a photo with you. But if they, sometimes at a restaurant, like if I say no to someone because I'm having lunch or I'm on a mm. date or whatever and then they come up to me and it's like I'm busy right now man like, oh, if they leave me alone on my way out if I see that person I'll be, and, and they were and they were nice and respectful I'd be like yo you have your phone on you they would take a photo because I'm like thanks for being respectful because sometimes I can understand people's judgment goes out the way when they see a celebrity apparently and I felt this way like I said you just don't realize your etiquette it's just so when when that happens, I, I don't hold it against them. I'm like, it's learned behavior, like I said. So then I'll, yeah, I'll take my time out of my uh, out of my day and just say what's up afterwards. But if they like, you know, oh, please, please. I'm like, bro, you're not respecting my boundaries. You didn't respect my no. I need my no to be respected. Mm. I said no. Why? Because I fucking said so. That's it. I didn't need to explain myself to you. Who the fuck are you? I don't know you from a bar of soap. And again, you're more excited to meet me than I am to meet you. Mm. In, in the core of your being, do you mm. realize that you're a star? Yeah, I always yeah. knew so. I, I, I knew I wasn't going to be regular. I, I just knew like I was going to be great at something. I didn't know what it was, but I knew I was going to be great at something. I just knew. Even when I was working my, my last job, I just, I, I, I'm grateful for it because it showed me what I didn't want in life. I just knew this isn't for me. And what is that? Is that self-belief that gets you there? Or is that... So is it is it you believing that you're going to be great that got you there? Or is it because you were innately destined to be great? I'm trying to figure out if it's something mm, that one... What came first, the chicken or the egg? Yeah. Hmm. There's levels. There's people like us. We're, we're crazy in the sense that we believe 
to be, it's almost delusional sometimes. Yes. Yeah. Like, what's the one? I've heard this quote on the JRE before. It's like, greatness and madness are next door neighbors, and they just borrow each other's sugar once in a while. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm. So there's a point, like, I've used the story of me when I drive this beat up Honda and I'd shift the, the gear stick and I'd just do this. You do this. I literally, it was madness. I was me preparing for having a sports car, paddle shifts. So I shifted, you know, three, boom, gear four, boom. And when I dropped down, you know, same thing. Just like I was getting ready. I was, I was, this is, I, bro, I can manifest like a motherfucker. Do you believe in it? In, in the metaphysical, like, yep. sense you 100%, believe? 100%. 100%. Everything comes from the imagination. Everything comes from, like, before this microphone was a microphone, someone somehow thought about it. Now, how can I speak into something that would amplify my voice and blah, 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 blah. And then this came out of it and it's evolved over the years. But everything comes from the imagination. So the power of the mind, people don't understand. We still don't understand. I still don't understand how powerful it is. I'm still learning. But I know one thing is I can make things happen. I can go into levels... I just can't tell the world, but like there's levels that like I've manifested things that I'm just like, I still shock myself. Like how the fuck did I make that happen? And this is not even to do with fighting. This is to do with my personal life. And I'm like, I made that happen. And this is through this like manifesting subconsciously as well. Just years of something just manifesting, manifesting and boom, it's right there. I'm just like, shit, I really made that happen. It's scary, man. It's scary for me to even think about. I ref- reflect on that and almost view it like getting in your car in the morning. Mm. When you get in the car in the morning, you set the sat-nav, but then you've also got to drive. Mm-hmm. You've also got to go to training. Yeah. If you just set the sat-nav, where are you going to be? Sitting in the car. Sitting in the fucking yeah, so car. you can sit there and make all these dreams and manifest, but yeah. you have to work. And what happens if you just drive? Work. If you drive- And with no sat-nav. You don't know where you're going. You're lost. You know what I mean? You have no direction. So for me, I feel like- both of them together, like mm. when, you, when you really, when you have the vision and you're able to manifest, but then you also put the work in, magic happens, man. Magic. That's where the magic is. But a lot of people never get there, unfortunately. A lot of people, are, we're blessed that we can dream. Amen. We're blessed that we can dream. That's one thing I've realized because a lot of people, even from the impoverished parts of London, will be, will be lucky to have my old job. You know, from where I'm from, from Nigeria, a lot of people will be blessed to have my old job. And they'll be like, yo, this is, I have a great job. I can send money back home, this and that. But yeah, I just had bigger dreams. I just knew what I wanted. So I feel like I'm spoiled that I can I can dream the way I, I do and I can manifest the way I do. So I never take it for granted. And I realize the position that I'm in. I'm privileged. I'm very privileged. I read a quote about about immigrants specifically from Nigeria and it said yeah. our parents' role was to try and figure out survival mm. and we're here sat blessed with the task of self-actualization, which wow. is like figuring out meaning. Yeah. And they said, what a beautiful thing that is. Yeah. And They're just trying to survive or find a way, the next way to thrive. And to educate you. See like, yeah. What's meaning and purpose exactly. and happiness? And- That's why I feel like even today, <laughs> the way the world is, like the, the problems of uh, that we have, especially with all this divisiveness and whatnot. I'm like, you guys don't really have any real problems. Like when people in New Zealand start to complain about some stuff, I'm like, you guys are really worried about this? It's like, because there's no real problem. The police aren't trying to kill the people constantly. You know, the government isn't, well, they are fucking the people over, but not the same way as, you know, Nigerians have been fucked with by their government for so long. 
So it's like, I mean, you were really having your real problems. It's like they find things to f- to fight about now. Like now we're arguing about genders, mm. you know, this kind of stuff. And it's like, because there's no really, they're looking for problems. They're creating problems. Look, if there was some real shit going on, like there was, there was like another war, World War Three. apparently it's coming soon. Stay tuned, stay tuned. <laughs> yeah, if that was happening or aliens invaded, mm. do you think anyone would give a fuck about any of that shit? Mm. Fuck no. No way. We're worried about some real shit happening. You know, so yeah, I feel like people just start to create problems because we don't, we need, we need struggle. We need struggle in our lives. That's the thing. Mo sat there, who's the head of Google and he changed my life or something. He said about that. He said, um, um, unhappiness is when your expectations of how life is supposed to be going, go unmet. Mm. So it explains why a billionaire, when his steak comes and it's not perfectly cooked, he will be fucking furious because yeah. his expectation was here. Mm. And if it goes unmet, the delta is unhappiness. Yeah. And if you go to where I was from in Botswana, getting a bowl of rice, expectation is I'm not going to eat today. Bowl yeah. of rice, the delta is happiness. Wow. And Amazing. it's the same thing you're talking yeah. about with people, you know, their problems are relative to their expectations Facts. of life, right? Facts. The last question. Yeah. This one was Ooh. written for you in the diary um, yeah. by our previous guest. What question do you believe... Mm-hmm. based on the subject matter of the conversation we've had today, would have been interesting to ask you that people don't usually ask you? Mm-hmm. I mean, you touched on a few things I normally don't even talk about, like relationships and kids a little bit. That's stuff that I really hold guarded, but uh, I have some funny ones in my head, but I'm not going to talk about those. <laughs> Go for those ones. <laughs> <laughs> Let me see. Um... I think diving into my my personal life a little bit, mm. anything that has to do with like family relationships or, you know, like I say, yeah, family that I'm gonna have. Uh, I'm glad people don't though, because like I said, I like to just keep those things guarded. But yeah, and I think people kind of get my love life's not for sale, my family's not for sale. Those kind of things, like I said, I I won't I won't sell for the consumption of people to watch. I'm not the Kardashians. You know, I ain't Kanye West. I ain't putting all my business out there. Yeah, so for me, yeah, I keep those things guarded. So I think people kind of respect that, understand that, mm. so they don't push too much. Or you get like a little bit here every now and then, but not nothing too mm. much, yeah. I hear you. Mm. Thank you for your time today. It's honestly, oh, it's, thanks. it's tremendous, fun. man. I, like, yeah, yeah. You're a killer in so many ways, but I, I, we didn't even get to talk about the marketing and the branding side of things. Oh, but, that's levels. There's ways I've, yeah. I mean, I did computer graphic design in, in college and I felt like some of the stuff I learned there really helped me with my social media when it mm. comes to making my own highlights when I was coming up, you mm. know, posting. All the anime just, stuff as well, anime, bro. Yeah, but that's just me being a big authentic kid. authentic self as well. Exactly. Authentic expression of self. If you put it out there, those who appreciate will gravitate. Fuck, I like that. That's a bar. <laughs> T-shirt. Yeah, that's a bar. Those who appreciate will gravitate. I'm going to keep that. That's dope. Yeah. You can start, add to your t-shirt collection. Yeah. Tell them well. But listen, thank you so much for your nah, time, for, for your grace, me. your humility, and your openness as well. It means I a lot to me. I appreciate it. Likewise, yeah. my man. And also, like, I'm going to look into you a little bit more. You, okay. Because nah, this is the thing. Whenever I, I like to meet new people and learn about them. So hearing your story, I'm just like, man, that's mm. still I'm like 700 million at 27. I didn't Damn. get all of it, but yeah. yeah. Bro, <laughs> respect, Brother. Thank you. Thank Easy. you. Thank you. Thank you. No, thank appreciate you. that. Thank you. Thank you.
you are always one decision away from taking your business to the next level. And a decision that's helped me to transform my business is moving over to NetSuite, who I'm excited to say are a sponsor of this podcast. If you don't know already, NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform and one source of truth. It's reduced IT costs because it lives in the cloud so you can access it from anywhere and the cost of managing and running multiple systems because it's in one unified business management suite. My team and I don't have to worry about tasks being manual and clunky and it means that I can be more efficient and to focus on more important things like bringing you the best episodes and guests on this show. So I become one of the 37,000 companies that have already made the move over to NetSuite. NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. So head to netsuite.com slash Bartlett for a free product tour. Back to the episode. 